Section 6 of The Life of Abraham Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Life of Abraham Lincoln by Ward Hill Lehman. Chapter 4 On the west bank of the Sagamon River, twenty miles north of Springfield, a traveler on his way to Havana will ascend a bluff one hundred feet higher than the low-water mark of the stream. On the summit he will find a solitary log hut. The backbone of the ridge is about two hundred and fifty feet broad, where it overlooks the river, but it widens gradually as it extends westerly toward the remains of an old forest, until it terminates in a broad expanse of meadow. On either side of this hill, and skirting its feet north and south, run streams of water in very deep channels, and tumble into the Sagamon, almost within hearing. The hill, or more properly the bluff, rises from the river in an almost perpendicular ascent. Quote, there is an old mill at the foot of the bluff, driven by water power. The river washes the base of the bluff for about four hundred yards, the hill breaking off almost abruptly at the north. The river along this line runs about due north. It strikes the bluff coming around a sudden bend from the southeast the river being checked and turned by the rocky hill. The mill dam, running across the Sagamon River, just at the mill, checks the rapidity of the water. It was here, and on this dam, that Mr. Lincoln's flatboat stuck on the 19th of April, 1831. The dam is about eight feet high and two hundred and twenty feet long, and, as the old Sagamon rolls her turbid waters over the dam, plunging them into the whirl and eddy beneath the roar and hiss of waters like the low continuous distant thunder can be distinctly heard through the whole village day and night weekday and sunday spring and fall or other high-water time the river at the base of the bluff is about two hundred and fifty feet wide the mill using up thirty feet leaving the dam only about two hundred and twenty feet long in every direction but the west, the country is broken into hills or bluffs, like the one we are attempting to describe, which are washed by the river, and the several streams that empty into it in the immediate vicinity. Looking across the river from bluff to bluff, the distance is about a thousand yards, while here and there, on both banks, are patches of rich alluvial bottom lands, eight or nine hundred yards in width enclosed on one side by the hills and on the other by the river the uplands of the eastern bank are covered with original forests of immemorial age and viewed from salem hill the eye ranges over a vast expanse of green foliage the monotony of which is relieved by the alternating swells and depressions of the landscape on the ridge of that hill where the solitary cabin now stands there was but a few years ago a pleasant village. How it vanished like a mist of the morning, 
to what distant places its inhabitants dispersed, and what became of the dwellings they left behind, shall be questions for the local antiquarian. We have no concern with any part of the history, except that part which began in the summer of 1831, and ended in 1837, the period during which it had the honor of sheltering a man, whose enduring fame contrasts strangely with the effinescence of the village itself. In 1829, James Rutledge and John Cameron built the mill on the Sagamon, and laid off the town on the hill. The place was then called Cameron's Mill, but in process of time, as cabins, stores, and groceries were added, it was dignified by the name of New Salem. Quote, I claim, says one of the gentlemen who established the first store, to be the explorer and discoverer of New Salem as a business point. Mr. Hill, now dead, and myself purchased some goods at Cincinnati, and shipped them to St. Louis, whence I set out on a voyage of discovery on the prairie of Illinois. I, however, soon came across a noted character who lives in this vicinity, by the name of Thomas Watkins, who set forth the beauties and other advantages of Cameron's Mill, as it was then called. I accordingly came home with him, visited the locality, contracted for the erection of a magnificent storehouse for the sum of fifteen dollars, and, after passing a night in the prairie, reached St. Louis in safety. Others soon followed. In 1836, New Salem contained about twenty houses, inhabited by nearly a hundred people. But in 1831, there could not have been more than two-thirds or three-fourths that number. Many of the houses cost not more than ten dollars, and none of them more than one hundred dollars. When the news flew through the country that the mill dam was broken, the people assembled from far and near, and made a grand frolic of mending it. In like manner, when a new settler arrived, and the word passed around that he wanted to put up a house, everybody came in to the raising, and, after behaving like the best of good Samaritans to the new neighbor, they drank whiskey, ran foot-races, wrestled, fought, and went home. Quote, I first knew this hill or bluff, says Mr. Herndon, in his remarkable lecture on Ann Rutledge, as early as 1829. I have seen it in springtime and winter in summer time and fall i have seen it in daylight and night time have seen it when the sward was green living and vital and i have seen it wrapped in snow frost and sleet i have closely studied it for more than five long years as i sat on the verge of the town in presence of its ruins i called to mind the street running east and west through the village the river eastward green's rocky branch with its hills southward, Clary's Grove, westerly, about three miles, Petersburg, northward, and Springfield, southeast, and now I cannot exclude from my memory or imagination the forms, faces, voices, and features of those I once knew so well. In my imagination, the village perched on the hill is astir with the hum of busy men, and the sharp, quick buzz of women and from the country come men and women on foot or on horseback, to see and be seen, to hear and to be heard, to barter and exchange what they have with the merchant and the laborer. There are Jack Armstrong and William Green, Kelso and Jason Duncan, 
Alley and Carmen, Hill and McNamar, Herndon and Rutledge, Warburton and Cinco, Bale and Ellis, Abraham and Anne. Oh, what a history! End quote. In those days, which in the progressive West would be called ancient days, New Salem was in Sagamon County, with Springfield as the county seat. Springfield itself was still a mere village, having a population of one thousand, or perhaps eleven hundred. The capital of the state was yet at Vidalia, and waited for the parliamentary tact of Abraham Lincoln and the Long Nine to bring it to Springfield. The same influence, which, after long struggles, succeeded in removing the capital, caused the new county of Murnard to be erected out of Sagamon in 1839, of which Petersburg was made the county seat, and within which is included the barren site of New Salem. In July or August 1831, Mr. Lincoln made his second appearance at New Salem. He was again in company with Denton Offutt, who had collected some goods at Beardstown, and now proposed to bring them to this place. Mr. Lincoln undoubtedly came there in the service of Offutt, but whilst the goods were being transported from Beardstown, he seemed to be idling about without any special object in view. Many persons who saw him then, for the first time, speak of him as doing nothing. He has given some encouragement to this idea himself, by the manner in which he habitually spoke of his advent there, describing himself as coming down the river after the winter of the deep snow, like a piece of floating driftwood borne along by the freshet and accidentally lodged at New Salem. On the day of the election in the month of August, as Minter Graham, the schoolteacher, tells us, Abe was seen loitering about the polling place. It must have been but a few days after his arrival in the town, for nobody knew that he could write. They were, quote, short of a clerk, end quote, at the polls, and, after casting about in vain for someone competent to fill the office, it occurred to one of the judges that perhaps the tall stranger possessed the needful qualifications. He thereupon accosted him and asked if he could write. He replied, quote, yes, a little, end quote. Quote, will you act as a clerk of the election today? End quote, said the judge. Quote, I will try, returned Abe, and do the best I can, if you so request. End quote. He did try accordingly, and, in the language of the schoolmaster, quote, performed the duties with great facility, much fairness and honesty and impartiality. This was the first public official act of his life. I clerked with him says Mr. Graham, swelling with his theme, on the same day and at the same polls. The election books are now in the city of Springfield, Illinois, where they can be seen and inspected any day. End quote. Whilst Abe was doing nothing, or, in other words, waiting for Offutt's goods, when Dr. Nelson, a resident of New Salem, built a flatboat, placing his family and effects upon it, started for Texas. But as the Sagamon was a turbulent and treacherous stream at best, and its banks were now full to overflowing, Nelson needed a pilot, at least as far as Beardstown. His choice fell upon Abe, who took him to the mouth of the doubtful river in safety, although Abe often declared that he occasionally ran out into the prairie at least three miles from the channel. Arriving at Beardstown, Nelson pushed on down the Illinois, and Abe walked back to New Salem. 
The second storekeeper at New Salem was a Mr. George Warburton, but, quote, the country not having improved his morals in the estimation of his friends, end quote, George thought it advisable to transfer his storeroom and the remnant of his stock to Offutt. In the meantime, Offutt's long-expected goods were received from Beardstown. Abe unpacked them, ranged them on the shelves, rolled the barrels and kegs into their places, and, being provided with a brand new book, pen and ink, found himself duly installed as first clerk of the principal mercantile house in New Salem. A country store is an indescribable collection of miscellanies, groceries, dry goods, hardware, earthenware, and stoneware, cups and saucers, plates and dishes, coffee and tea, sugar and molasses, boots and shoes, whiskey and lead, butter and eggs, tobacco and gunpowder, with an endless list of things unimaginable except by a housewife or a merchant. Such was the store to the charge of which Abe was now promoted, promoted from the rank of a common laborer to be a sort of brevet clerk. But Offutt's ideas of commerce were very comprehensive, and, as, quote, his business was already considerably scattered about the country, end quote, he thought he would scatter a little more. He therefore rented the mill at the foot of the hill, from Cameron and Rutledge, and set Abe to overlooking that as well as the store. This increase of business, however, required another clerk, and in a few days Abe was given a companion in the person of W. G. Green. They slept together on the same cot in the store, and as Mr. Green observes, by way of indicating the great intimacy that subsisted between them, quote, when one turned over, the other had to do so likewise. End quote. To complete his domestic arrangements, Abe followed the example of Mr. Offutt, and took boarding at John Cameron's, one of the owners of the mill. Mr. Offutt is variously, though not differently, described as a, quote, wild, harem-scarum, reckless fellow, a gusty, windy, brain-rattling man, a noisy, unsteady, fussy, rattle-brained man, wild and improvident, End quote. If anybody can imagine the character indicated by these terms, he can imagine Mr. Offutt, Abe's employer, friend, and patron. Since the trip on the flatboat, his admiration for Abe had grown to be boundless. He now declared that, quote, Abe knew more than any man in the United States, and that he would some day be president of the United States, End quote. and that he could, at that present moment, outrun, whip, or throw down any man in Sagamon County. These loud boasts were not wasted on the desert air. They were bad seed sown in a rank soil, and speedily raised up a crop of sharp thorns for both Abe and Offutt. At New Salem, honors such as Offutt, accorded to Abe, were to be worn before they were worn. Bill Clary made light of Offutt's opinion respecting Abe's prowess, and one day, when the dispute between them had been running high in the store, it ended by a bet of ten dollars on the part of Clary, that Jack Armstrong was, quote, a better man. Now, Jack was a powerful twister, square-built and strong as an ox. End quote. He had, besides, a great backing, for he was chief of the Clary Grove's boys, and the Clary's Grove boys were the terror of the countryside. Although there never was under the sun a more generous parcel of ruffians than those over whom Jack held sway, a stranger's introduction was likely to be the most unpleasant part of his acquaintance with them. 
In fact, one of the objects of their association was, quote, to initiate or naturalize newcomers, end quote, as they termed the amiable proceedings which they took by way of welcoming any one ambitious of admittance to the Society of New Salem. They first bantered the gentlemen to run a foot-race, jump, pitch the mall, or wrestle, and, if none of these propositions seemed agreeable to him, they would request to know what he would do in case another gentleman should pull his nose or squirt tobacco juice in his face. If he did not seem entirely decided in his views as to what should properly be done in such a contingency, perhaps he would be nailed in a hogshead and rolled down New Salem Hill. Perhaps his ideas would be brightened by a brief ducking in the Sagamon, or perhaps he would be scoffed, kicked, and cuffed by a great number of persons in concert, until he reached the confines of the village, and then turned adrift as being unfit company for the people of that settlement. If, however, the stranger consented to engage in a tussle with one of his persecutors, it was usually arranged that there should be foul play, with nameless impositions and insults, which would inevitably change the affair into a fight. And then, if the subject of all these practices proved indeed to be a man of metal, he would be promptly received into good society, and in all probability would never have better friends on earth than the roistering fellows who had contrived his torments. Thus far Abe had managed to escape initiation at the hands of Jack and his associates. They were disposed to like him and to take him on faith, or at least to require no further evidence of his manhood than that which rumor had already brought them. Ophit, with his busy tongue, had spread wide the report of his wondrous doings on the river, and better still, all New Salem, including many of the Clary's Grove boys, had witnessed his extraordinary feats of strength and ingenuity at Rutledge's Mill Dam. It was clear that no particular person was spoiling for a collision with him, and an exception to the rule might have been made in his favor, but for the offensive zeal and confidence of his employer. The example of Ophut and Clary was followed by all the boys, and money, knives, whiskey, and all manners of things were staked on the result of the wrestle. The little community was excited throughout, and Jack's partisans were present in great numbers, while Ophut and Bill Green were about the only persons upon whom Abe could rely if the contest should take the usual turn and end in a fight. For these, and many other reasons, he longed to be safely and honorably out of the scrape. But Ophut's folly had made it impossible for him to evade the conflict without incurring the imputation and suffering the penalties of cowardice. He said, quote, I never tussle and scuffle, and I will not. I don't like this woolling and pulling, end quote. But these scruples only served to aggravate his case, and he was at last forced to take hold of Jack, which he did with a will and power that amazed the fellows who had at last baited him to the point of indignation. They took side-holds and stood struggling, each with tremendous but equal strength, for several minutes, without any perceptible advantage to either. New trips or unexpected twists were of no avail between two such experienced wrestlers as these. Presently Abe profited by his height and the length of his arms to lift Jack clear off the ground, and swinging him about, thought to land him on his back. But this feat was as futile as the rest, and left Jack standing as square and as firm as ever. Quote, now, Jack, said Abe, let's quit. You can't throw me, and I can't throw you. 
End quote. But Jack's partisans, regarding this overture as a signal of the enemy's distress, and being covetous of jackknives, whiskey, and smooth quarters, cheered him on to greater exertions. Rendered desperate by those expectations of his friends, and now enraged at meeting more than his match, Jack resolved on a foul, and breaking holds, he essayed the unfair and disreputable expedient of legging. But at this Abe's prudence deserted him, and righteous wrath rose to the ascendant. The astonished spectators saw him take their great bully by the throat, and holding him out at arm's length, shake him like a child. Then a score or two of the boys cried, Fight! Bill Clary claimed the stakes, and Ophut, in the fright and confusion, was about to yield them, but, quote, Lincoln said they had not won the money, and they should not have it, and although he was opposed to fighting, if nothing else would do them, he would fight Armstrong, Clary, or any of the set. End quote. Just at this juncture, James Rutledge, the original proprietor of New Salem, and a man of some authority, rushed into the crowd and exerted himself to maintain the peace. He succeeded, but for a few moments a general fight was impending, and Abe was seen with his back against Ofoot's store, undismayed and resolute, although surrounded by enemies. Footnote. Of the fight and what followed, we have the particulars from many persons who were witnesses. Jack Armstrong was no bad fellow, after all. A sort of western John Browdie, stout and rough, but great-hearted, honest, and true. His big hand, his cabin, his table, and his purse were all at the disposal of a friend in need. He possessed a rude sense of justice, and felt an incredible respect for a man who would stand single-handed, staunch and defiant, in the midst of persecutors and foes. He had never disliked Abe, and had, in fact, looked for very clever things from him, even before his title to respectability had been made so incontestably clear. But his exhibition of pluck and muscle on this occasion excited Jack to a degree of admiration far beyond his power to conceal it. Abe's hand was hardly removed from his throat when he was ready to grasp it in friendship and swear brotherhood and peace between them. He declared him on the spot, quote, the best fellow that ever broke into their settlement, end quote. and henceforth the empire was divided, and Jack and Abe reigned like two friendly Caesars over the roughs and bullies of New Salem. If there were ever any dissensions between them, it was because Jack, in the abundance of his animal spirits, was sometimes inclined to be an oppressor, whilst Abe was ever merciful and kind, because Jack would occasionally incite the boys to handle a stranger, a witless braggart, or a poor drunkard, with a harshness that shocked the just and humane temper of his friend who was always found on the side of the weak and the unfortunate. On the whole, however, the harmony that subsisted between them was wonderful. Wherever Lincoln worked, Jack did his loafing, and, when Lincoln was out of work, he spent days and weeks together at Jack's cabin, where Jack's jolly wife, old Hannah, stuffed him with bread and honey, laughed at his ugliness, and loved him for his goodness. Abe rapidly grew in favor with the people in and around New Salem, until nearly everybody thought quite as much of him as Mr. Ophut did. He was decidedly the most popular man that ever lived there. He could do more to quell a riot, compromise a feud, and keep peace among the neighbors generally than anyone else, and these were of the class of duties which it appears to have been the most agreeable for him to perform. 
One day a strange man came into the settlement, and was straightway beset by the same fellows who had meditated a drubbing for Abe himself. Jack Armstrong, of course, quote, had a difficulty with him, called him a liar, coward, end quote, and various other names not proper for print. But the man, finding himself taken at a disadvantage, quote, backed up to a woodpile, got a stick, and struck Jack a blow that brought him to the ground. Being as strong as two men, Jack wanted to whip the man badly. End quote. But Abe interfered, and, managing to have himself made arbiter, comp compromised the difficulty by a practical application of the golden rule. Quote, well, Jack, said he, what did you say to the man? Whereupon Jack repeated his words. Well, Jack, replied Abe, if you were a stranger in a strange place, as this man is, and you were called a dang liar, etc., what would you do? Whip him by God. Then this man has done no more to you than you would have done to him. Well, Abe, said the honest bruiser, it's all right. End quote. And taking his opponent by the hand, forgave him heartily, and treated. Jack always treated his victim when he thought he had been too hard upon him. Abe's duties in Ofoot's store were not of a character to monopolize the whole of his time, and he soon began to think that here was a fine opportunity to remedy some of the defects in his education. Footnote. During the time he was working for Ofoot, and hands being scarce, Lincoln turned in and cut down trees and split enough rails for Ofoot to make a pen sufficiently large to contain a thousand hogs. The pen was built under New Salem Hill, close to the mill. I know where those rails are now, are sound today. Minter Graham. He could read, write, and cipher as well as most men. But as his popularity was growing daily, and his ambition keeping pace, he feared that he might shortly be called to act in some public capacity, which would require him to speak his own language with some regard to the rules of the grammar, of which, according to his own confession, he knew nothing at all. He carried his troubles to the schoolmaster, saying, quote, I have a notion to study English grammar. If you expect to go before the public in any capacity, replied Mr. Graham, I think it is the best thing you could do. If I had grammar, replied Abe, I would commence now. End quote. There was no grammar to be had about New Salem, but the schoolmaster, having kept the run of that species of property, gladdened Abe's heart by telling him that he knew where there was one. Abe rose from the breakfast at which he was sitting, and learning that the book was at Vanner's, only six miles distant, set off after it as hard as he could tramp. It seemed to Mr. Graham a very little while until he returned and announced, with great pleasure, that he had it. Quote, he then turned his immediate and most undivided attention, end quote, to the study of it. Sometimes, when business was not particularly brisk, he would lie under a shade tree in front of the store and pour over the book. At other times the customer would find him stretched on the counter, intently engaged in the same way. But the store was a bad place for study, and he was often seen quietly slipping out of the village as if he wished to avoid observation, when, if successful in getting off alone, he would spend hours in the woods, mastering a book, or in a state of profound abstraction. He kept up his old habit of sitting up late at night, but, as lights were as necessary to his purpose as they were expensive, the village cooper permitted him to sit in his shop, where he burnt the shavings and kept a blazing fire to read by, when everyone else was in bed. 
The Greens lent him books. The schoolmaster gave him instructions in the store, on the road, or in the meadows. Every visitor to New Salem who made the least pretension to scholarship was waylaid by Abe, and required to explain something which he could not understand. The result of it all was that the village and the surrounding country wondered at his growth in knowledge, and he soon became as famous for the goodness of his understanding as for the muscular power of his body and the unfailing humor of his talk. Early in the spring of 1832, some enterprising gentlemen at Springfield determined to try whether the Sagamon was a navigable stream or not. It was a momentous question to the dwellers along the banks, and when the steamboat Talisman was chartered to make the experiment, the popular excitement was intense, and her passage up and down was witnessed by great concourses of people on either bank. It was thought that Abe's experience on this particular river would render his assistance very valuable, and, in company with some others, he was sent down to Beardstown to meet the talisman and pilot her up. With Abe at the helm, she ran with comparative ease and safety as far as the New Salem Dam, a part of which they were compelled to tear away in order to let the steamer through. Thence she went on as high as Bogue's Mill. But, having reached that point, the rapidly falling water admonished her captain and pilots that, unless they wished her to be left there for the season, they must promptly turn her prow downstream. For some time, on the return trip, she made not more than three or four miles a day, quote, on account of the high wind from the prairie. I was sent for, having been an old boatman, says J. R. Herndon, and I met her some twelve or thirteen miles above New Salem. We got to Salem the second day, after I went on board. When we struck the dam, she hung. We then backed off, and threw the anchor over the dam, and tore away a part of the dam, and raising stream, ran her over the first trial. As soon as she was over, the company that chartered her was done with her. I think the captain gave Mr. Lincoln forty dollars to run her down to Beardstown. I am sure I got forty dollars to continue on her, until we landed at Beardstown. We that went down with her walked back to New Salem. End quote. End of chapter 4 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida